You are listening to the Talking Tough Podcast, the world's toughest men and women at their most vulnerable. Their stories of triumph, their falls from grace, and their climb back to the top, to life. This is Rick Bassman here for Talking Tough on the Podcast One Network. Hannibal here from TheHannibalTV.com, along with the Taskmaster Talks co-host, John Paz, who also co-hosts Rick Bassman's Talking Tough podcast. So I'll let you introduce um, the third member of this today. John, since you're such a great introducer. Yes, yes. I, I was waiting. Uh, I thought Rick was going to say something, but no, but uh, I... The, <laughs> the man of the hour, the man that found Sting, the man that found the Ultimate Warrior, the man that found John Cena, the man that holds the record for the most ever wrestlers in the WWF developmental system, Mr. Talking Tough, Mr. Rick Bassman. Yo, hey guys. And John, you know what Hannibal missed on your intro? The, the Lord and overseer of the ever-expanding two-man power trip podcast empire true and with him devin hannibal nicholson the purveyor of the number one pro wrestling site on youtube is that a correct claim devin's i know we have wwe in there well we we're not above wwe but we're definitely the most viewed shoot interview channel and the number one in canada for sure by far, there's no one even close in Canada, even though most of our viewers are in the U.S., which is why I love the U.S. so much. And i just like to say I'm sorry about your dog that passed yeah. away. We had two terrible losses this year. Oh, God, it's brutal. Uh-oh, I'm going to lose my composure now, guys. Um, I'm going to need you guys probably to lead me for a while today because I'm a little fried about that. Yeah, I lost my, uh, my girl Go-Go this week. And, uh, well, maybe we'll come back to that. Let's let's talk yeah. some stuff that's not going to make me cry like a baby. How's that? Well, your dogs were very close to you, and I'll give your channel a plug too, fans. Uh, if you're not watching this on Rick Bassman's YouTube channel, he has a YouTube channel that is Talking Tough Podcasts uh, air on. Also, uh, most of the interviews that he gets for me, which he's helped hook me up with people like Rob Van Dam recently. They're also on his channel ad-free for now because it has not reached monetization status. So there's a good reason to subscribe to Rick Bassman's channel. Whoa, whoa, hold on. I, I'm going I'm to interrupt. I said I was going to be quiet and let you leave, but I've got to test right now the power. John, I want to test the power of Hannibal's half million plus and growing network. Here's how I'm going to test it. I think I've got like 900, we have about 915 people subscribed to my YouTube. To yep. get to that all important point, we need a thousand. So I want to ask 85 Hannibal subscribers, 85 Hannibal subscribers to go subscribe to my YouTube while you're watching the show. Now we're going to test the power of the Hannibal universe. Well, you heard it, guys. Uh, help Rick out. He brought uh, the I ultimate warrior and Sting into wrestling as we lost ourselves for a second. But uh, anyone that's fans of the Warrior, Sting, or John Cena, hmm. thank Rick by finding his YouTube channel 
and subscribing to it. Uh, you'll be helping him out. And he's going to do more uh, interviews like this, too, about people like Herb Abrams, the crazy UWF promoter that that he was close with. And, and John, you're more of a historian than I am. Maybe you can give us some background on Herb Abrams. You know, it's funny with him. He's just one of those guys who are like, where the hell did he come from? And if you watch the Dark Side of the Ring, you learn a little bit, just a tiny bit about where he came from and, and his past. But he was basically a salesman. I mean, it was like, where, you know, where did this guy kind of come from? I'm just curious of, you know, how he gets into the wrestling business. He gets a million dollars from Sports Channel to put together, you know, UWF. He's got the show. He's a huge fan. He's just a mon monumental, you know, uh, lover of the business. But Rick... When did you actually like meet him and become friends with him? Because he's such an intriguing guy. I feel like a lot of people need to know his story. Yeah, you know, I, I wish I had a good story about how we met. And I was thinking about that today in anticipation of, of our conversation. And I have a bad answer for you. I don't remember. Um, you know, Hannibal said a moment ago, we'll do more of these. And John, you know me. It's like I've had like a hundred lives. I, I know so many hundreds of people all over the world in this business, the MMA business. And I oftentimes have trouble remembering how I met that person. With Herb, I know that he was kind of a fixture around the California scene when I was coming up in that scene. And I was working with and for a guy, a lot of people don't remember, never heard of, by the name of Carl Lauer. You probably know John Carl, because you know everybody. Uh, California. There's actually an interview with him on this channel. If people look it up, I met him at the Cauliflower Alley Club. Just search Carl Lauer, the Hannibal TV. Yeah, Carl's a tripper. Um, between Carl and Leah Via, Polynesian pro, who I also did a lot for, I must have tripped across Herb or vice versa in that little circle back in those days. That's all I can remember. My, my impression of him at the time, and I, I think it's and I was trying to recollect that earlier today as well, is, you know, a guy, you already described him. He's a fan. He's a hustler. You know, and I tend to speak uh, about people in the present tense, you know, if they're no longer with us. You know, very, very colorful guy uh, who came in at the right time to try to get in the business if he didn't have connections or, or knowledge because it was still the Wild West back then, man. Pretty much anybody could buy their way in. And a lot of people did. We all know the term money, Mark people that come along and, and blow through a whole lot of money talking about how they're going to be the next WWF, which was called at the time overnight WWE now with very little clue what they're doing, you know, in a million or two later, they're usually gone. They're not such big fans anymore. Her was definitely one of those guys. The difference is he managed to be a better salesperson, as you said, and have more passion and more stick to than the rest. But the guy was a maniac. He had no business plan, no discernible business plan whatsoever. And I know we can talk more about that as, as we get into it. But, you know, he managed by sheer inertia and power of personality to uh, force his way in and, and find a place, as cryptocracy is saying, Herb Abrams is a fucking legend. Now, I, I would like to see the definition of legend, but <laughs> Herb, Herb's memory is definitely of some sort of legend in this game. And, uh, you know, he, he, he made it for himself just by, by force of personality. Hey, you have at least one more subscriber to your Rick Bassman channel, uh, Sean Shamrock, just subscribed. How's our connection? I think we lost Hannibal for a moment there. Oh, no, I, uh, I just don't like to be on camera. But uh, Sean Sh uh, Shamrock just subscribed to your channel. Oh, uh, thank you, Sean. 
Nice. Does Sean is Sean related to uh, Ken or Frank? Do we know? I don't know. I guess he'll tell us. But those two are two other guys you know. So for Herb Abrams, did you realize right away that he was kind of uh, a little different, or was this something that you figured out as time went on? No, you knew right away, man. You know, one one thing that I, I say about Herb, and, and let me qualify everything we talk about today. I like Herb. I like Herb. I have real affection for him. And, and I felt like, you know, John, you know me and your best buddy, Jim Cornette. He's not my favorite guy on this planet. And, you know, when I say stuff about Jim, I'll shoot on him in a pretty straight up way. You know, my feelings for him. I'll, I'll, I'm going to shoot on Herb for sure today, but I like the guy. And I think that's important to, to, to make that distinction. Um, here's something I say. Okay, Paul Grillo said Herb Abrams was crazy. I agree with both hands up. Absolutely. Um, John and, and Hannibal, you guys might be too young to remember this, but back in the day of Spencer's gift stores, there were you go into the stores and buy posters and lava lamps. Posters were. Oh, yeah. Yep. So there was one company that put out these theme posters, and it was like, you know, tennis player. And you'd see a guy on it, and it would have things like arrows point tennis elbow. You know, tennis skid mark from skid in the knee on the court, whatever it was, right? Baggy tennis shorts. I used to always say and still will, if they had ever made the wrestling promoter poster, it would not have been Vince McMahon. It absolutely would have been Herb Abrams, no doubt about it. This guy, Herb and I were the same height, about 5'4". Um, he had a thin build, but a pot belly. And he wore these outlandish, silky, multi-pattern shirts that would give you a headache just looking at it even a, in and of itself that's before you got to the rest of the ensemble the the skin tight jeans like dye uh what do you call them over dyed or whatever they were called back in those days um with his package like visibly pushed to one side they were so tight um very elaborate like multicolored ostrich skin cowboy boots the shirt open so just tufts of hair shooting out everywhere from his chest. Um, same with his head, bald, but just random tufts of hair like sticking out in different places. Gold chains, uh, diamond encrusted wristwatches. Um, I mean, this guy was the poster child for the stereotypical, and keep in mind, I like her, sleazy promoter movement. You don't have to even hear a word out of his mouth before you look at him and go, oh my God, what the fuck is this? Then he would start to talk. You're like, holy cow! This guy will like the the reincarnation of P.T. Barnum, the rest of the uh, famous circus purveyor. I mean, just mile a minute, blah blah blah. He's articulate, smart, intelligent, all of that stuff. And uh, well, man, just talked a mile a minute like an auctioneer. But it was always about the wrestling business and his plans for uh, global dominance. Carlos Ray says Abrams had problems. Carlos. I don't think we have enough time for that today, man. Maybe all those problems. <laughs> but yes, indeed, indeed. Uh, the brother man, Herb was a godsend to wrestling. Well, that's debatable. But, you know, the thing that was cool about Herb, okay, he was a godsend to me because I look at my experiences with Herb Abrams. And, and John, I know you and I talk a lot when the show's over about our love for pro wrestling. And I've told you my top three of all time, Roddy Piper, Bruno Sammartino, and John Tolis. And because of Herb Abrams, I got to be a mark. I got to perform as a manager with Bruno Sammartino and John Tolis. 
So that's a godsend to me. That was freaking amazing. I got to lift uh, weights with Don Morocco in the Gold's Gym in the middle of God knows where. I got to almost fight Paul Orndorff in a dressing room, which, John, you always tell me would have been a bad idea, but who knows? You're probably right. <laughs> we got to hear that story. We got to hear that story about uh, you and Paul Orndorff. Oh, dude, we're, we're in one of Herb's dressing rooms. Uh, you asked me for a photo, uh, Devin, and I sent it to you earlier today. I don't know if you can show it, if you have that. that I can't show it, but it's before. a screenshot of this video. If people clicked on the video, they would have seen it. Okay, it's like one of the most ridiculous photos I've ever taken out of millions of ridiculous photos where I've got the leopard skin tights. And I was pretty freaking jacked in that photo. And, you know, I was like 135 pounds. I was benching like 315 legit. I was on a lot of gas. I had pretty decent genetics. I looked like a little mini freaking nature. And I walked into the locker room to get ready for one of the events. And somebody, I forget who it was, turned to Orndorff and goes, hey, Mr. Wonderful, this guy's got a better physique than you. And Orndorff turns to me. I never met him before. And he goes, fuck that guy. And I'm like, well, fuck you then, buddy. And he said, this is the early 90s, man. I mean, there was no catering in the dress rooms. Catering was alcohol and cocaine. So we were all pretty geared up in, in the Herb Abrams days. Uh, Herb, added, Herb added to that mix. He really further geared everybody up. Um, so that was it. That's what happened with Orndorff. It was someone told him I had a better body than him. He didn't like that. He insulted. He came at me with a fuck you. I went back to him. He stepped toward me. I stepped toward him. Bunch of guys jumped in the middle, cooled it off, and that was it. That's all there is to tell. No more than that. So you fare better than Vader. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. Yeah, Orndorff got the better of Vader, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I've been in several near fights with some pretty pretty name guys, you know, Brian Nobbs, Test, a bunch of others, uh, Ultimate Warrior, which I'm convinced I would have won that one. He's huge and strong, but that's about it. But I'll tell you this, after talking with hundreds of people throughout the years, yourself included, John, I now have to say that I would have got my ass handed to me by Paul Orndorff. So there you go. Johnny Cage is asking how much coke was Herb Abrams doing and were, were other wrestlers doing it with him? Would, I was wondering the same thing. Yeah, with the, with the one that were to answer a lot, answer your question. Um, yeah, dude, it was, again, it's early 90s. And not that it was, you know, ever okay necessarily, but it was certainly fashionable. It was always around. You know, it, it was plentiful. Um, here's a typical thing. I was at the Pento Hotel in New York which is where Herb was shooting for a while. When I say shooting, I mean a TV, not this. They didn't do that, to my knowledge. Um, and I get a frantic phone call from him. Rick, you've got to come down to my room now. Now, what happened in those days, that's when Herb was really imploding, like, like we all saw in the documentary. I was a Disney, a pretty high-level Disney executive at the time, like moonlighting as an evil pro wrestling manager. It was kind of fun. I'd get to do the you know Disney thing and go be Rick Golden, evil wrestling manager. And whenever I come to New York, when Herb would disappear or do something wacky, by default, not by appointment, I became the guy that everybody would come to to solve problems. That was just sort of my role in life and my role in, in the business. So I was getting that left and right. Herb called Frank, well, you got to come to my room now. And I'm like, wow, maybe there's a problem. And of course, I want to try to help if I can. I get to his room. 
The second I get there, Brian Blair comes off the elevator and is at Herb's door also. I'm like, did you get a call from Herb? He's like, yep. And Brian kind of rolls his eyes because he was a veteran of the Herb game at this point. I was kind of a newbie. So we knock on the door. The door cracks open. You see these like wild eyes, like doing this, looking up and down the hallway. So come on in. So he opens the door. We walk in. He slams the door behind us, bolts it, latches it. Then he goes, here. And he takes his big bag and throws it on the bed. And it was, I don't know, maybe two eight balls of cocaine. If, if you youngsters know what eight balls are. And uh, he's like, here, go ahead, go ahead. And we're like, Herb, what's the problem? What do you need? I just needed somebody to party with. And that's, you know, that was typical of how it was back then. And uh, I don't, I can't give you a list of who imbibed and who didn't. And if I could, I probably wouldn't anyways, unless there are people I know that are okay talking about that. Um, but uh, I would say not many people uh, escaped the uh, Herb Abrams rail train. Did he used to do it in the back with the boys at all, or, or that was just strictly at the hotel? You know, John, I don't, I honestly don't know. Um, Herb was not very discreet for sure. So I'm just, I'm imagining the answer. So I don't have a definite answer for that. Um, he was doing so much of it and so frequently, you know, if you have any experience with cocaine, I'm not asking if you do, I'm just saying this as <laughs> a statement. If you do, you know that when you're on a big roll with it, it doesn't work like, you know, they'll do some now and leave it at the hotel. And then seven hours later, when I come back, I'll do some more. It's, it's with you, man. So I'd imagine it was probably going down at the show too. Although I, I can't say that with authority. Stoney 420 said a eight ball a day keeps the doctor away. You agree with uh, Stoney there? Yes, absolutely. You know why? Because an eight ball a day, you'd be fucking dead. You don't need a doctor. <laughs> so I, I, I concur with Stoney. Yes. Paul is asking if Herb ever met Paul Heyman. Do you know if those two ever crossed paths? I have no idea, although that would have been uh, fun to be a fly on the wall on that one. I can only imagine. That's yeah, Paul I could see those two getting along. Yeah. Paul, yep. or, or, hit, or killing each other. One or that, other. yeah. Um, yep. You know, that would have been like Paul at his maniacal best in those times also. What's that show they do on WWE Network where they have three people together? Um, dinner for three. Dinner yep. for three. Or what I do, three-way dance. Dude, I, and this is not a slight at your friend at all, Mr. P, but... Could you imagine in the early 90s, Herb Abrams, Paul Heyman, and Jim Cornette in the same room? That would have been fun. Oh, my God, yeah. yeah. I, I would pay for that one. That would be cool. I guess now, though, Cornette and Heyman get along pretty well, I guess. Uh, hard to imagine, but if you say so. Okay. They, he said that they have the, the same enemies. So I guess they have uh, common enemies that they both dislike. I think almost everyone dislikes Cornette other than his uh, his group of uh, followers, the and Jim me. Cornette cuckolds or whatever the hell they call themselves. Um, so Herb, man. So I um, yeah, became friendly with Herb around the California days, and I got a call from him out of the blue in the early 90s. I was working for Disney at that point in Florida. I was running their nighttime entertainment property called Pleasure Island, which was an amazing freaking job. It was basically an excuse to be a drinking, cocaine railing maniac on Disney's dime 
Uh, although it was, a, I worked my ass off and I dare say I did a good job for them. I was just a maniac while doing it. And I, I guess they say, um, you know, like attracts. So I get a call one day from Herb Abrams out of the blue. I hadn't talked to him in years. He's like, Rick, that was you that brought Rob Russin's group into uh, Disney, right? Because you know, I have, and Eric Bischoff would argue this, although I had this discussion with him once and he, he did concede to me. I was the first person to ever bring pro wrestling to the Walt Disney Company and to Universal, both, um, which is more of a Herb story I'll get to in a moment. Uh, Rob Russin had a little promotion called IWA, and Rob and I made arrangements to bring IWA to Disney's Pleasure Island. I think it was 1991, there, thereabouts. We did a show there at Zephyr's Rock and Roll Beach Club, Pleasure Island. The main event was Ivan Koloff and Kevin Von Erich. I don't know how I remember that, but I do. And the show went off pretty well. There were some challenges, but it was pretty cool. And not long after, I get a call from Herb Abrams. Rick, you brought wrestling to Disney. That's fantastic, man. How about you bring UWF in next and blow off that Russian guy? You don't need him. We'll go global together. I'm like, okay, that sounds good. You know, it was really cool for me because I grew up, as you know, a huge wrestling fan. I, you know, dabbled in and out of the business for several years and never full immersion, but in and out, then went to Disney. So now I had a chance to marry, you know, to use the influence I had at Disney to combine Walt Disney and pro wrestling. I mean, it was like a dream come true. So I had Herb calling. We talked about some pretty, pretty big scale stuff with which, you know, even at that point, I was still, I was learning, I was already learning to be um, discerning. And I understood some of what he was saying was promoter talk. A lot of it seemed to have some, some real teeth to it. And I thought that if we did it right, Herb together and Disney, we could really create something that was, you know, of substance. And the calls went nicely. Then he calls me one day. He goes, Rick, where's my proposal? And I said, what do you mean? I need you, Rick, to send me a proposal uh, in, uh, summarizing everything we've talked about and saying what Disney's going to do for uh, UWF. I said, Herb, check this out, man. I go, I'm going to take myself out of it and my ego out of it. You're calling the Walt Disney Company. You want to bring wrestling to Walt Disney. You send me the fucking proposal. And I remember that as kind of being like the first time in my professional life I ever felt like I big leaked somebody. But I felt like it was called for also because I wanted to see if the guy could actually put something on paper. He put a proposal together. It was a mess, but I still liked what he was talking about. So I redid it. And you guys have both seen the kind of stuff I put into writing. I like to do business writing and proposals and whatnot. And because you have to do that with Disney. Then you bring it to the brass, run it up the flagpole. We're making really good strides. And during the process, Herb kept interjecting one outlandish demand or idea after one another. Uh, we had to confirm a date at this point. And Herb basically, he, he fucked it up. He just, it was too much stuff. A lot I didn't share with Disney. Other stuff had to be shared. Finally, my bosses said, nah, we're going to opt out. We don't want this. So kind of like being a turncoat in a way myself, I get on the phone and I call my counterpart, Molly Miles, who's the head of promotions for all of Universal in Florida and made arrangements to bring UWF to Universal Studios. So Herb actually ended up there as opposed to Walt Disney. And that was the first time Universal ever got involved in pro wrestling. So that's one, one of many Herb Abrams, Abrams occurrences. And did you come with the package as a manager? 
I was booked with um, with Mark Miller and Greg Boyd. Greg was a uh, ex Denver Broncos player. He uh, actually trained with uh, with your boy Vader in Colorado, and uh, big guy, Greg, black guy, about six seven, three hundred twenty pounds. In those days, six seven, three twenty was enormous. And Mickey the Cocaine Mouse. Yeah, if you only knew, man. Um, <laughs> you only knew, buddy. Oh my God. Um, and uh, Greg's tag team partner was Mark Miller. And Mark was one of the original four members of Power Team USA was staying in Ultimate Warrior. So the tag team was called the Golden Rule. Uh, I was their manager, Rick Golden. Together, the golden, our golden rule was do unto others before they can do unto us, which is our heel way of, you know, attacking people and, you know, doing all those things that heels do. Um, so I was booked to go manage Greg and Mark for Herb. We went out and did a bunch of media the day of the show got to Universal, Herb was acting like a complete freaking maniac. Herb and I got into an argument and he kicked me out. So I did not manage that day with the golden rule. And Mark and Greg were gonna walk with me. I'm like, guys, go do your thing. Let's have fun, it's no big deal. So uh, where are the yellow, the ostrich yellow boots? Oh God, I don't know, man. That's a very good question. Buried with Herb, who knows? Those things were really something. Everyone knows there's a lot of Jewish owners in the entertainment world. How much is their Jewish influence in wrestling in general? You know, I've never thought about that before. I'm Jewish um, by heritage, but even being Jewish, I don't know the answer to that. John, who's Jewish? Is, is Haman Jewish? Probably. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yep. I mean, the McMahons certainly are not. Bishop nope. isn't. Nope. Um, I can't think of anybody else. I mean, my good pal Goldberg, of course. Um, Macho I, Man, half Jewish. Who was? Macho Man. Oh, I didn't know that. I've never heard that before. Huh. Diamond oh. Dallas Page, Raven. Yeah, yeah, Page, Raven, Scott Levy, right? Uh, Mark Lewin back in the day. Yeah, Todd I, Gordon. Who's that, Todd Gordon? Todd Gordon. Oh, I don't know. Okay. Uh, still, though, I would say very much the exception. Barry Horowitz. Barry Horowitz has to be Jewish. Um, yes. Yeah. Just by the name. Um, I would say not a whole lot. And as far as, you know, promoters, people running things, um, yeah, I guess Heyman and, you know, to a much lesser degree, myself and Herb Abrams. I don't really know who else other than that. So to answer that question, probably not a whole hell of a lot. Is Rick Rubin, was he Jewish? Who's that? Rick Rubin, the uh, Smoky Mountain technically uh, owner. I don't even know who that is. The guy, music, music producer, Cornette lost all of his money from having the failed promotion. Oh, did you say the oh Rick Rubin, the producer? Is that what you said, John? Yes. Oh, yeah. He yes. funded oh. Cornette's uh, failed promotion there. I did not know that. Um, I would assume so just by the last name, but I don't know that for a fact. I don't know. But any lighthearted, funny stories with Herb? Um, <laughs> I think it's a pretty crazy stories lighthearted and funny you know i i wish i could say yeah i i i said about a hooker coming up we'll get back to that from stony pointing <laughs> in a minute um i will i will say this again i i liked herb herb was fun to be around always i despite our arguments despite him kicking me out of universal after i got him there no bitterness i think it's kind of funny 
Um, I really can't think of any incidents that I would call lighthearted and funny, other than the fact that I just liked him and he was fun to be around. Um, most of the stories, or all of the stories that I can think of that involve Herb, as far as like particular incidents, are him just being intense, slash borderline, completely whacked, one, one or the other. Benny so Hill said, was, was Herb but, always at high speed? Do you recall any moments where Herb was calm? But that's a good good uh, question. Yeah, and Ben Hill, that's pretty much what, what I'm saying. But to get right to your point, you know, it's so long ago now. And, you know, 30 years ago, I never would have imagined that 30 years later, we'd be on a show talking about Herb Abrams. So I, I don't mean that one way or the other. I just didn't file away a lot of, uh, a lot of memories. Um, I wasn't particularly close with Herb. And again, it's not because we didn't get along. We did get along. Just I, there's a lot more people in, in this business than in this world that I was closer to than I was to Herb. But, you know, we were in, in working together in proximity to one another probably 50, 60 times. So it, it was enough to, um, you know, to get a feel for him. And my vibe now, if I had to answer your question, was was he ever calm? I, I would have to say no. I don't remember him being calm. No. You have a $5 tip here, and this is a question. This is something that came up in the documentary. Was Herb literally planning to have one of his wrestlers shot on that allegedly banged his wife? Yeah, I do know about this. I didn't, I do know about this. Absolutely. Herb was funny. He, he liked to think of himself as a boss and by boss, I don't mean just a promoter kind of, you know, it's like, it's like a lot of people that, um, <laughs> someone said Rick's a Jew turned Buddhist. That's funny. I don't know what I am, man. I'm confused. <laughs> um, Omega Jackson. You know, I went to Catholic, grew up Jewish, went to Catholic school and thought I was Buddhist for a while. So I'm just confused. I don't know what I am. Um, but, uh, yeah, Herb, Herb thought of himself as kind of like a mafia Don type. And I've seen it a lot in this business. And in the mixed martial arts business, when people first get into it and all of a sudden they're around guys that truly look the part and or can really take care of business, um, especially if they have any power as Herb did, he had the money, you attach yourself to those guys pretty quickly. And you like to think that you can, uh, I don't want to use the wrong word because like I was thinking maneuver or manipulate and that's not my intent, induce the guys to do your bidding, put it that way. And Herb was very like puffy about the guys he had around him and who he could get to beat people up for him. So yes, that that's absolutely true. I even remember who the guy was that supposedly banged his wife. And I'm not going to say that here because I don't know if that's public or not. Um, so yeah, it was public he, in the documentary. He had and he had henchmen who were willing to do things for money, as is the case oftentimes in the wrestling business and in life in general. Sure. Who is your UPW henchman? You had so many tough guys in there. Who would uh, who would police the uh, assholes? Oh God, we didn't really have to do that. I mean, I can tell you that you know we legit. Uh, you know, there was one time I remember. I'll never forget this when Bruce Pritchard and Jim Ross came to one of our shows, and Jr. is backstage, and he's looking around like mouth is practically hitting the floor. He's like, holy shit. He's like, your locker room, and I kid you not, this is God's honest truth. This is like 
the heyday of WWE's like physicality realm, uh, physicality era. He's like, holy shit, your locker room is more physically impressive than ours. Um, now, this was after, actually, no, it wasn't the height of their height of that era for them was the Warlord years and all that. This is the next, you know, next time later when they have Taker and Hunter and all that, but they were toning down and they were testing. We didn't have to test. So we, we were a freak show, you know, personified, but we also had a lot of legit guys there at the same time. You know, Sylvester Turkai and, um, and Sean O'Hare and Nathan Jones and Luther Reigns and Tom Howard and John Heidenreich. And, and that's just scratching the surface. So those guys, Hannibal, to answer your question, th- those were my best friends in the group. But we didn't really ever have to have henchmen because we had a really nice copacetic backstage. And then when you go out with a group like that, except for one time in Florida, I'll never forget when these two like skinny drunk guys try to start with our whole crew. Nobody could ever challenge you, man. It was pretty easy. Although I'll tell you a funny story about henchmen. And it almost ties back to Herb Abrams in a way. I talked to Mark. I talked to you guys about Mark and Greg, the golden rule, Mark Miller and Greg Boyd, the day they were in town in Orlando to do the universal tapings for her. So they came in early and my brother calls me. My brother is about the world's most opposite guy to me. You can ever get. He's a conservative guy and he, I don't mean politically, we're not getting into that. Just, you know, the way he conducts himself in life and he's in the high end home furnishings business. So, he goes, Rick, he goes, I have a client that's gone completely deadbeat on me. And the client was in Orlando, which is why he's calling me about this. He's like, they owe me three grand. I'm, they're never going to pay. I'm getting one line of bullshit after another. Do you think maybe you could collect? You know, and if you do, I'll give you whatever it was. I don't remember. And it happened to be like, call me the day before Greg and Mark came into town. So I get Greg and Mark and we had our, you know, out of, you know, our promotional outfits, which were head to toe black. So like black fry boots, black jeans, big black leather belt with all the silver studs, black tank top, black leather jacket over it, black wraparound shades. So this is again, early nineties. That's what gimmicks look like back then. So we go to this really high end. I have my brother send me two things. I go, send me the invoice, send me a letter authorizing me to collect on your behalf. Great. He sent, he faxed it to me. So we had fax machines and so we walk into this high-end home furnishing store with Greg and Mark, who at that time are two of the hugest guys walking around anywhere in the U.S., dressed the way they're dressed. Everyone in the store stops and like, this just, something here doesn't fit. We walk up to the front counter, and I forget the guy's name now. Say his name is uh, John Paws. And I'm like, is John Paws here? And the guy's like, yeah, that's me. And I took the letter and the invoice and I slammed it down on the counter. I go, pay this now. Didn't threaten him. Didn't touch anybody. And the guy paid us and we walked out. So there's a strong arm story for you. Kind of. You got another $5 tip here, Rick. Uh, Were any uh, UWF or did Herb know of anyone in the locker room that were, that was gay. We were just talking about, uh, the ultimate warriors views on gay people before we went on the air here. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, warrior had, had, I think the reason we started talking about warrior had a lot of rumors, those rumors about himself back in the day before he, before he got famous. Um, I, I don't remember anything about that. I mean, 
who wrote that brother man if you have something more specific in mind uh you can ask but i don't have um i don't have any recollection of that sorry i wish i had a better answer for you i just don't there's a bunch of questions that have come up uh, about where did he get the talent uh I guess Brian Blair was hooking him up with some back in those days. Were you helping hook up the talent too? No, no. Believe it or not, I wasn't. Um, that was before I was really fully into the business, so I didn't, you know, I didn't have those connections. Um, it a lot came through Brian, and you know, as anybody that's been in the promotional business knows, you know that if there's a and this is a lot different industry these days, but even up to 10 years ago, if you got TV time with WWF slash WWE, and then no, you're no longer on TV, you're suddenly in demand for whoever the next money mark is in line. And, you know, once, once one guy gets tracked down, then that guy is going to become a de facto booker almost for whoever the promoter is. So it kind of works like this. I've done tours and uh, that I've promoted in South Africa, you know, in Guyana, in Vietnam, in Israel, all over the world. And once you book one guy, you know, it could be, you know, an old school warrior like Tatanka or Honky Tonk Man or, you know, the next era, the Billy Guns of the world, uh, Road Warrior Animal, you know, may he rest in peace. They, all of them will start to push you to help you book. So once you have one guy booked, it's so easy to get everybody else if there's money on the table. It's just how it works. Where did he get all the money, though, to book uh, most of these guys? If you think about it, I know he was a businessman. And I know he was a salesman and, and he you know, had some success maybe in New York City and stuff. But where do you get the money? I know Sports Channel, he somehow kind of convinced him then to give him a million dollars. But where did he get the money to start it? That, that was a question we always asked. Um, we had always heard sales also. And, you know, he was, but no one knew. I don't, I certainly didn't know. Did he ever pay talent with cocaine? Nikki asks. Um, <laughs> I don't know, Nikki. It, I suppose it's possible. But uh, again, I have a boring answer for you. It's my answer is I, I don't know. Uh, so, John, as far as where his money came from, that was another nobody really knew. There was a lot of conjecture. Um, but he was an odd guy with money because he always had huge wads of $100 bills on him that he liked to flash. But at the same time, he was always out of money and stiffing everybody left and right. So who knows? Who knows? It could be the old Rocky Johnson thing. Rocky used to say, carry a $100 bill around. If it's your last one on this earth, get yourself at least 10 singles and wrap those singles up inside the 100. Looks like you're rolling. So who knows? You think that maybe he was a drug dealer? I, I, I don't think he would have had the savvy. Not the savvy. He was, again, he was a smart guy. <laughs> I, I don't think he would have stayed out of jail doing that for very long, put it that way. No. I think he had some sort of business enterprise going that he probably was at least moderately successful in and uh, had enough money to you know fund the beginnings of UWF. How's that for an incredibly boring answer for you? But <laughs> if I had to... Uh, Make a theory, I'll bet you that was uh, that was it. And he always was able to bring in, you know, name talent. Paul Orndorff, Jimmy Snuka. He at one point brought in Andre the freaking giant. So, I mean, Bruno San Martino. Bruno San Martino. Yeah. So, I mean, man, he he brought in some big time names. Obviously, Andre was like a kind of a one and done. And then uh, Vince 
uh, snatched him back up. But it's just crazy that uh, he was able to get these guys and not only believe in them, but I guess somehow was able to pay these guys at one point. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it wouldn't have taken that much, first of all. Um, you know, John, when, I, when UPW, my promotion was in its heyday, I had um, I the Road Warriors, first independent bookings ever. You know, together as the Road Warriors, I had Roddy Piper, Rob Van Dam, uh, Hunter, Triple H at, at his height, um, Sting, and the, you know, the list goes on and on and on. And I think it's just having enough business savvy and the ability to articulate to attract people to what you're doing. Um, you know, it's not like in the music world where, you know, you're going to catch the stones on a hot night and get them to play your nightclub. Um, it was a lot, I hate to say it and take away the mystique and, and take away what guys like Herb or myself had accomplished, but, you know, with, with the right ability to articulate and a little bit of money, you could get it done. Um, although, strangely, I think it stood out because not many were able to get it done, especially not on the label, not on the level that he got it done at. Yeah, that's for sure. And somebody mentioned he stiffed the honky tonk man, your old buddy, the honky tonk man. <laughs> honky tonk. I don't know about that, John. You probably do. You know about honky getting stiffed? Uh, supposedly, honky always brings it up in, in shoot interviews and stuff. But yeah, supposedly he did get stiffed. By, he said uh, that he pay. He got them to pay it back through the commission or something because uh, it was a commission show in New York. Oh, I think. Yeah, that would have been the Pento Hotel shows. That was a kick, and, man. He had um. And, he, sorry, John. I was just saying, somebody also mentioned that uh, he was like a big clothes, big woman's clothes salesman, which I think they brought up in the documentary as well, that he was selling clothes. I mean, I don't know if you can get that much money from selling clothes and bringing in Andre the Giant and, and Paul Orndorff, but, you know, I guess. I remember hearing that as, you know, as theoretically his source of uh, income or wealth, whatever the case may be. So, I mean, why, why not, right? People come from, you know, wrestling fans are a funny breed, man, and... I'm certainly not casting aspersions at them because I'm as big a fan as anybody listening to the show right now. Um, some of us are just like morbidly fascinated by the business and have to be in and around it. And again, if we're hustlers and, and that word always has the wrong connotation, but you, you know what I'm saying? Um, if, if we're willing to work and use whatever resources we have at hand, it is a business, especially back then, probably not so much now. But it, it was a business you could buy your way into at the pretty at pretty high levels. Doesn't mean you have any chance of sustainability once you're there. But you know, Herb, God bless him, somehow managed to outlast outlast most of the uh, crazy money marks who uh, <laughs> who went that way. Stony four twenty again. What are some of your uh, thoughts on people saying that he faked his own death? Have you ever heard that? Yeah, but why? You know, you, John, you know, you and I have a lot of discussions about the world you know that i'm like the, the biggest anti-conspiracy theorist there is so i don't um i don't i don't buy into that um why would he have faked why would he have faked his death i mean that's a better question have you heard it no it, i never really i mean i heard people say that he faked it, it. i don't know why he would because that, he owes so much maybe, money. yeah maybe debt that would be a good maybe a reason yeah what, why is that sorry debt like he owed too many people yeah. money and maybe the wrong people money. Uh, okay, sure. Maybe Herb's living on a desert island getting fanned by <laughs> native girls as we talk. And if he is, then I need to join him. 
Yeah, there. The one thing I want to ask you about is: Were you ever there with Bruno San Martino and Herb in the same room? Because I could only imagine the disdain <laughs> Bruno would have for a guy like that. I kind of do remember that. I remember not being in the same room, but being backstage when we were setting up promos. And I just remember Bruno being very quiet and kind of had this look on his face like, oh boy, um, Paul, <laughs> one word from John Wolf, cocaine. That's funny. All right. Pretty much sums up this whole broadcast. Rick, you worked with Corn and Guns N' Roses. Yes, I did. Those, those are different stories, but if the guys want, we can get to that. Bruno just seemed to be like, what the, what the hell? All right. He goes, I know yeah, those I'm two don't seem like they mesh together. You no. know what I mean? Like, they don't seem to go together. No, but you know what? Herb somehow got a point of contact for Bruno, told Bruno about his grandiose plans, and either Bruno bought into it. This was when he was, you know, on the outs with WWF and wanted to look for another way to, to stay relevant in the business. Or maybe he was just there because he thought it'd be fun and wanted to get paid. I don't know. But he, I just remember that he did not seem to be taking it all that seriously. John Tolis, on the other hand, one of my other two of uh, one of my other favorite guys of all time, was very, very into it. And I remember John and Herb really getting on well and uh, and John being like fully vested in what was happening there. So I do remember that too. And that was uh, cool to see. You know, and Herb had, you know, he had his loyalists, man, that's for sure. Um, you know, he's like that guy who used to be our president. Oh, um, or who's about to used to be our president, where there are some people that you no, know, they they the guy can just do no wrong in their eyes, no matter how outlandish or, or how wacky he gets. And uh, you know, Stevie Ray, the Wild Thing, if you guys remember him, mm -hmm. uh, yep. he was definitely one of those guys. Uh, character by the name of Sonny Beach, um, Larry and David, the Power Twins, if you remember them. I managed them in UWF as well when the Golden Rule wasn't around. Um, there were certain guys that were absolute herb loyalists, and they all seemed like very decent guys to me. So Mick uh, Foley too. Mick Foley's a big herb loyalist. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. That that's that's speaks volumes to me because Mick is, you know, from 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 my viewpoint and my experience, you know, truly one of like the smartest people in the business in terms of intelligence, but also one of the best guys in the business at the same time. So. For Mick to be a loyalist is a pretty glowing endorsement of Herb Abrams, I would dare say. <laughs> if Herb only had $100 left to his name, would he buy hookers or Coke? And was he as obsessed with hookers as, as uh, you know, as it's been storied out there, as it's been put well, out there? All right. So let me, so Stoney, I'm going to answer that short question with a long answer. Here's the best way I can answer it. Your question is wrong. The way you phrased your question is wrong. And here, would he buy, if he had a hundred bucks, would he buy hookers or Coke? That was the question, right, John? Yes. Yeah, the, the phraseology of that question is all wrong. And here's why. Um, there was another morning, early morning, about 6 a.m. when I got a call from downstairs at the Penta. That was one of Herb's office guys saying, Rick, the TV truck is here but they're going to leave unless they get paid. Taping was that night and they couldn't find Herb. And as I mentioned, I somehow became the, uh, the default person to go to when there were problems. So I called Brian because, you know, Brian was be Brian Blair, one half of the killer bees. 
Brian was, uh, you know, Herb's top guy or top lieutenant. So again, Brian and I are find ourselves in front of Herb Abrams' hotel room door together, and we knock, and we hear a commotion, and then we hear a female female voice going, "Help me, please help get this guy off of me." I'm like, "What? All right." So then a a girl opens the door, and then we hear the other we hear the voice going, "Please get this guy off of me." Aha. Uh-huh. There's two females in this room and Brian and I walk in and Herb, God love him at six in the morning, naked Herb is firmly planted on this lovely lady of the night. And she should have been booked for the show because in terms of sheer mass, she was probably bigger than anybody on the show that night. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, Brian and I bodily removed Herb. So yes, Brian and I, physically separated naked herb from a lady of the evening. And so let's, let's go back to, and there was obviously, you know, there was cocaine residue in the room. You know, I didn't, we didn't see big stacks or piles, but it was, there were little fine settlings of dust here and there. So to answer, God, I'm going to take so much heat for this. I don't usually like to be this politically incorrect, but I'm just going to do it to, um, to answer Stony 420's question, I would say this. If you t- quickly assessed what was going on in that room in 1991, there were probably less than, I forget, what was a little quarter gram? I was thinking, God, it's been so long, I forgot how the measurements go. There was probably less than a quarter gram of cocaine in that room, which I think would have been about $30 retail at that point. And I'm guessing that Hooker did not go a penny over 40 bucks. So 420, Stony 420, you could have gotten both for 100 bucks. That's the answer to the question. And that's why your <laughs> que- that's why your question was wrong, wrongly phrased. So you you and B. Brian Blair got to go rescue this, I guess, gigantic, possibly ugly Hooker from a naked Herb Abrams. Basically, is that what you're saying? Affirmative, indeed. <laughs> yes. Wow, what a character, man! And and you hear that story from a, a few guys that have mentioned, you know, they got to rescue the hookers from from him and stuff. So I guess oh, he kind real? of was, yeah. yeah I've heard that a few times, a few different guys, yeah. Uh, or maybe maybe the I've other way around, maybe. Sorry, John. Go ahead. Maybe oh, maybe it's the other way around. Somebody has to rescue the hookers, or they have to rescue him. I'm not sure which way it goes. <laughs> I'm just uh. A little sad to hear that this tale has been heard before because i've been like i've been dining not exactly like that though a little little different but you hear stories of him being naked and and hookers being all around the hotel all right and brian blair is known to spin some stories so it's good to get uh various takes on it um there is a fan asking if herb got along with the fans or when he was all coked up would he like snap off on fans uh, extreme ends of both, for sure. If you remember, I mean, Herb, <laughs> Herb busted his ass to make himself the star of the show, which, um, which a lot of people, myself included, thought was pretty funny because he probably wasn't a lot of people's idea of what a you know a television star would look like. But again, it's his show. He did have a big personality. He was pro wrestling. He could do uh, he could do whatever he wanted. So. Uh, he made himself the star of the show. And when, you know, I remember, 
I remember signing a lot of autographs and taking a lot of photos with fans myself as Rick Golden, and I was barely involved in the programming. So Herb was like a legit star to his fan base, and he, he lapped it up. He was, you know, overly, not overly, he was incredibly nice to the fans. He was overly gregarious. Um, but if someone did something or yelled something they didn't like, he would snap in a second. Yes. So it was the you know absolute extreme opposite ends of behavior toward fans, but way, way more often being the nice fan-friendly guy than the guy who'd go aggro. Is he professional at all with like his staff and, and everybody, or is he just a total recluse nut? Uh, yes, <laughs> the, la- the latter. Again, people liked him. People were attracted to his personality. Again, I, I like him. I'm saying all this stuff. So how do you say you like someone? But, you know, we're doing a shoot interview. So t- telling the truth and trying to be diplomatic about it. Um, people that worked with him, by and large, liked him. But it wasn't like when you did business with Herb, you were doing business in the traditional sense that anything made sense or anything was handled in a, in a sane and cohesive manner. It was always crazy and all over the place. Ben Hill says, how uh, involved was he in the actual production, or did he act like he was just one of the talent? Uh, he was very involved in the early stages, but started to sort of lose hold of that as uh, as time went on. Ed from YouTube, $5 tip. Did Herb make money? I remember counting the numbers, and it never made sense. No, you know, I, you know, I, Ed, I can tell you this, man, with UPW even, which, you know, but by all, by all perspectives, looked like a very successful promotion, you know, and we ran it like a business. It took me three years before we made our first dollar from UPW. It's a very, very difficult business to make money in. Um, you know, my, my short answer to your, your question is, I don't know if he made money. If what John is saying about Sports Center is accurate, and I have no reason, John, to, to believe it's not, or to be challenging you on that, I just, I just don't know. But if that million-dollar licensing fee is, is true, then he definitely made money. Apart from that, and this is Ed's question, uh, I can tell you that by advertising on his shows, or the revenue derived from advertising on his shows, or sponsorships, or live ticket sales, he absolutely would have been getting his clock clean financially day after day. So whatever you penciled out, you would be correct in, in uh, concluding that he was losing money. In that regard, sure. The big boss Fetty wants to know about Johnny Ace back then, who obviously worked UWF quite a lot. Could he work like his brother? I mean, uh, I, to be honest, me personally, I know, Rick, you can answer this in a second, but uh, back then he was not at that great uh, at, at that point in the UWF. He was kind of still still learning his way. He was okay, but I think he was a lot better in his All Japan days, for sure. Nothing like Animal. Yeah, I can answer it. I have no recollection of Johnny Ace ever being anywhere on the wrestling radar until I heard his name in passing as part of All Japan and then later became, uh, you know, working associates and to a degree friends when he was, you know, in talent relations at WWE. I have zero idea um, of how his work was back in those days. Don't know. Eric Raffanello, what did Sunny Beach do after the UWF closed? Are you familiar with Sunny Beach? Rick Allen. Yeah, yeah. He was one of the characters I mentioned before. He was one of the guys that really liked Herb. Before I answer that question, I haven't checked my YouTube 
and everybody out there were challenging Hannibal's influence with his uh, Hannibal followers to get my YouTube up to a thousand subscribers tonight. We started at 915. So if while you're all watching this, you guys kindly, if you be cool with it, go to youtube.com forward slash Rick Bassman and hit the subscribe button. That would be amazing. Thank you. I had to get that plug in there. There it is. Thank you, Hannibal. So guys, please subscribe. Um, and the shortest, I think, youtube.com slash Rick Bassman also. But either way, it's great. Thank you. Um, what did Sunny Beach do after? <laughs> I don't know. Worked at Taco Bell. Um, became a senior vice president at Barrett Stearns. Did I, I have no idea. I lost touch with him. Uh, I was never buddies with Sunny Beach. Nothing against him. He was just a guy working there and in the locker room, but I didn't have a prior relationship or or one after. So, John, maybe you know, but I don't. I know he still lives in the Northeast. It seems like he's doing pretty good successfully business-wise. I don't know exactly the business, or maybe he wouldn't want it out there, but I know he still does some autograph signings, some wrestling signings. I've seen him recently. He was doing a virtual signing, so he's still out there, uh, and people recognize him, maybe from the documentary, but he's still kind of known, I know, in the Northeast. Ricky hmm. Allen. Yep. Okay. I hope he's doing well. So Nikki is now asking, do you think he ever got humbled? And humbled. Oh. You know what that means. No, I'm going to ask you, what does that mean? Nikki, um, it, educate me. I don't know. It's an iron chic thing. You get humbled. You get fucked in the ass. You know, you did he, did oh. he ever get humbled? <laughs> who, who is Nikki Mercadante? Do you know? No. All right. Just uh, a viewer that maybe will subscribe to your channel soon. <laughs> on all these things, I never. How do I not know that term? I have never. That's his. What? That's one of his lines that he was going to humble Brian Blair and yes, uh, back when they were having their feud. Do you know you were friends with the Iron Sheik? Was that feud a work? Who Sheik and who? Brian. Be Brian Blair. Dude, I feel so ignorant. I think everybody should unsubscribe to my YouTube now. I don't even know about this feud, um, so I can't answer that. I don't know. Oh, uh, Sheiky, it seems a little bit of a work, but uh, Sheiky Baby doesn't like him. He always says, I'm going to humble you, which means, you know, he's going to F him in the ass. Uh, he he, he doesn't. Yeah. yeah, he, he doesn't like him, but he always, out of nowhere, will bring up B. Brian Blair. He just he doesn't like him at, at all. Uh, but Derek has another question. Let's play devil's advocate. If the UWF succeeded, where would it have gone? Did Herb have any wild plans? Did you know that? Yes. Yeah, so that's a two-part question. Did he have wild plans? Absolutely. Herb had huge plans. Herb was one of those guys who came along with money and hired name talent and said, I'm going to be the next WWF. If I, if I had a million bucks for every time I've heard that, I'd be a multi-gazillionaire. Um, but Herb actually got a lot farther than most others because he got on TV. He had a real TV deal. He did real shows. Um, I don't want to say he had a real roster. Guys weren't exclusive, but he had a name roster that worked his shows. So were his plans wild? Yes. He was going to do a huge pay-per-view at a stadium in Israel. And I think that was in, uh, in homage to his, uh, his Jewish heritage. Um, he was going to run Madison Square Garden. I remember actually visiting Madison Square Garden with her one day. It was right across the street from the uh, Penta Hotel where we did the tapings. He talked about how we were going to move from the Penta to Madison Square Garden. Uh, he had big plans, grandiose plans. 
Um, where where could it have gone playing devil's advocate? Well, you know, as we all know now, as we all know now, we're all historians, that what it takes to make it in this business, well, it's a bunch of things. If you're a promoter, you need a legitimate television vehicle. You need money and you need the talent. So Herb had the makings, the beginnings at least of all three. So had he constructed a sane business plan, had the cash flow been there continuously, and had he continued to build in a sane manner, none of which he really did, but he, he, the makings and the trappings were there, potentially could have been uh, another WCW at one point. I mean, it's, it's not, uh, it's not outside the realm of imagination. That would have been best case, which would not have been a bad thing. I could see him, and I think somebody mentioned it before. Could see him getting into or wanting to be involved with MMA as well. If it, you know, it had it been more popular at that point, I could see that. Seems like a Wild West kind of guy. Yeah, back then, yes. Uh, you know, when I when I started in mixed martial arts, you didn't even need a license to promote. And I did the first uh, with Valor Fighting, my my MMA brand. I did the first event ever in the state of California under commission jurisdiction, and. I can tell you that running a mixed martial arts show under an athletic commission is an exercise in humility, man. It is really, really hard. And if you don't have your eyes dotted and your keys crossed, you're not going to last long in that business at all. So I could see Herb in the early era, you know, with the David versus Goliath stuff and, you know, all the made up styles competing against one another. Sure. Why not? I could see that. But once the commissions came in and you have to jump through their hoops, I can't see him putting A, B, and C to get a show off the ground successfully. Prior to that, yes. Post-commission, no. Speaking of promotion, constipated in Sin City. Great name. T.C. Martin was the promoter for UWF. What about the KKK coming to the ring in the sheets? Do you remember that? You must know about that, John. Can you answer that question? That I'm not. I remember it happening. It, it kind, you know, kind of being controversial. But I don't know much about the promoter or why they were doing that and stuff like that. Uh, that seems like uh, kind of a little bit wacky for sure. Yeah, I'm going to be losing subscribers by the droves. I never heard of that one either. Did Kate guys actually came into the ring in KK K sheets? See that I I don't remember too much of that either. Um, but I know there's some controversial uh, angles and gimmicks and, and wrestlers that would do uh, different things like that. And and UWF would be a little shocking sometimes. But I don't remember the, the sheets. Beers uh, angle. Too. the beers, of course, very racist. Yes. So it, it's very so possible. Fun. Ben Hill sent you a five dollar tip, by the way, Rick. Super sticker. Oh, thank thank you, Ben. That. When I, when I get tips, by the way, I want people to know that goes to all my work in Pitbull Rescue for the Bully Dog Rescue Coalition. BullyDogRescue.com. There's another uh, shameless plug for the day. But thank you. I appreciate that. Now, Colonel De Beers did do a very racist gimmick where he was just outright racist. And Oh, um, yeah. The, the, the apartheid thing. Um, yes. Yeah. Yep. No, no, he did. That's for sure. And I don't want to say that's back in the days when it was okay. Because we all know that that kind of stuff never was okay. It has no place in history anywhere. But, you know, that was also, you know, at, at a time and place before society just didn't allow that sort of thing at all in an in a entertainment forum. 
So we, I think we all got in right around the time when we saw the last, you know, vestiges of true racial characters, thankfully, because there, there really is no place for that. Stony 420 stepping it up again. Did Herb owe you any money before he faked his death? LOL, just kidding about him faking his death. Did he owe you money? Nah, Herb was clean with me money-wise. No money owed. Unless Herb J. Abrams Jr. is watching, your dad owed me 10 grand. Let me give you my PayPal address. I'm just kidding. Herb, uh, Herb did not owe me money. No, he was always good with me on that. Did you see, uh, Nikki's got another question for you. Would you bang or would he bang Cornette's wife for a gram of Coke? Okay. So I, I have two comments on that and neither one addresses the question. Nikki Mercadante <laughs> is asking the best questions of the evening, but I'm not going to answer any more of Nikki Mercadante's questions until we can see who this person is because she probably has to be on the show. So next. Melvin Cash, didn't they beat up Virgil? <laughs> Rumor had it, yes. I personally do not know that that was uh, the fact or not. Uh, Virgil always, he always had heat with him wherever he went. Uh, I don't know why. I mean, John, maybe you probably know him better than I do. Um, seemed like it, Mike always seemed like a nice enough guy to me, but he'd always seem to follow wherever he would go. I think the KKK, um, may have beaten up Virgil or something. I, I, I'm trying to remember it, and UWF sometimes can be uh, hard to get uh, some footage, so I'm going to have to look that up on YouTube to see if that, because I don't even remember that, if, if the KKK thing and beating up Virgil. Oh, so we're talking work, then, not shoot. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, don't know. I Again, I missed the whole KKK thing, so I don't know about that. Well, a lot of questions on here are off topic. There's some about the Power Team USA, which you will do a custom video for sure in the future. We've gone over an hour, so I think that's a good amount for Herb for today. Uh, thanks for the people that uh, tipped Rick and, and submitted all your questions. Uh, is there anything you want to say to, to close it up here about Herb? And plugs, of course. Again, subscribe to Rick's YouTube channel. Get him to a thousand subscribers. Come on, help him out. His dog just passed away for, for crying out loud. Help him out. Yeah, what I wanted to say was this, man. Thank you guys for arranging this for tonight. I appreciate it. You just mentioned my dog, and I was going to say the same thing. I mean, she was like truly the, uh, you know, the nearest and dearest creature to me on this earth. And it was a nice distraction to get to do this with you guys tonight. So thank you. Very much appreciated. Hey, Herb, telling uh, cocaine and hooker stories. That's got to distract you. That's got to put yeah. your mind uh, at ease thinking about uh, crazy-ass Herb. For a minute, for an hour at least. Yes, indeed. Panel now, thank you. Oh, no problem. And for your Talking Tough podcast, uh, where can people subscribe? I think this is going to be available on there in audio form as well. Yeah, I always think, you know, John, John runs the show and John's the producer. Uh, the two-man power trip podcast empire. Um, I always like to tell people to go to our website, which uh, you can see up by my name right here, www.talking-tough.com, because there you have links directly to Launchpad DM, which is our audio-only podcast platform, and also links to, uh, to my YouTube, which I've been plugging endlessly tonight, where you can see the video version of each uh, thing that we do. So talking-talk.com would be the place to go. And the last the last thing I'll get you to plug is, of course, P 
people might not know this, but uh, you're involved with the United Wrestling Network. Uh, you've been helping me get interviews with that with them on the channel. They also air on your Rick Bassman channel. Do you have anything to say about uh, the success of the United Wrestling Network? You just had tag team titles change last night. Uh, Aaron Stevens is one of the new tag team champions. Yep. Yeah, I mean, you know, UWN, United Wrestling, it's a, it's a nearly 10-year-old company out of California. Uh, it's known best for its championship wrestling from Hollywood brand just cracked their 500th episode um it's on in over 130 markets across the u.s which is quite an accomplishment because it was done with a very small group of guys with no real financial backing no influence just by sheer hard work and love for the business then eight weeks ago we debuted our new brand which is primetime live it's a live pay-per-view every tuesday night it's on fight tv also in demand and direct and, and the rest so it's a wrestling fans wrestling promotion for sure. United Wrestling, um, UnitedWrestlingTV.com. Support us, please. It, uh, it helps to build the business for sure. And it might actually be getting a little bit more violent there in December from what I understand because I understand the Blood Hunter uh, might be coming in with Kevin Sullivan. I heard that rumor too. The, the problem that we're having is the entire lockdown locker room from J.R. Kratos to Chris Dickinson to, to Hammerstone and all the tough guys, they're really, really scared of this Blood Hunter character. So we're going to have to um, work our asses off to induce these guys to take a match. So as promoters, we're challenged here to get uh, the guys to man up and take on the Blood Hunter. But I'm convinced that come December 1st, we will. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Now, if you know what you're worth, now go out and get what you're worth. But you got to be willing to take the hits and not pointing fingers saying you ain't where you want to be because of him or her or anybody. Cowards do that and that ain't you. You're better than that.